I haven't preached for a while. So one of the problems is when you haven't preached for a while, I've been thinking a lot. And that's always dangerous. So uh, I have lots to say. So if, uh, if it gets a little bit too heady, just go to your happy place and it'll be fine. And then I'll just snap my fingers when you should come back to reality and it'll all be good. Uh, but we're going to be looking, Jonathan kicked off a new series on uh, the purpose of praise, looking at the importance of worshiping God. It's what Christianity is built around, and so it only makes sense that we would spend a series looking at this together. Uh, I want to begin by giving you a scenario. Let's say that you have a really good friend, and uh, they end up developing a really bad attitude towards you. And they become really critical. They start to gossip about you. What would you do? How would you respond to a friend treating you that way? Uh, there's kind of two main options that we have when we face a difficulty in that kind of way. Option number one is that you change yourself. They criticize you. and You go, oh, wow, that's a really good point. Thank you so much. I'm... I'm really going to try harder next time. I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm not going to visit all 84 bars or whatever it was. I'm going to try to do better. And uh, maybe you'll, this saying in Christianity where you turn the other cheek, where you don't point out something at them, but you just say, is there anything else that you'd want to say? Uh, and we try to change ourselves. Isn't that a great option if uh, somebody points out something in our lives? Uh, the problem is, we never can quite change enough for everything to be perfectly okay. Uh, if you've had struggles with anybody, have you noticed this? That you can never quite be perfect enough for everything to go really well. There's always kind of one more issue or one more thing that you should be working on. But we try. We try to change ourselves. The other thing that we could try to do is change them. We can uh, listen really well, and, and if you've taken counseling courses, you can use I statements and say, well, yeah, but when you do this, this is how I feel. And, and we can talk about how they should also be working on something. But the problem is, not only are we imperfect, so are they. And so when you try to, uh, to have healthy relationships and you try to work on yourself or work on them, the problem is we're imperfect. And if you try to have healthy relationships with other people, you know if you, if you get close enough that there's always problems. There's always issues that we work through. And so what we want to ask today is how do we have healthy relationships in the midst of you being imperfect and the person that you're trying to have a relationship with is also imperfect? What our imperfection does is create an unstable relationship. Now, uh, if you can imagine a two-legged stool, right? If you imagine you have a stool and there's two legs on it, how easy would it be to sit on that stool? Uh, now, this is where it gets a little bit complicated, so you've got to follow me just for a minute, and then we'll go back to hopefully something straightforward. Uh, any time you try to have a relationship with another person and it doesn't go well, we look for a third leg, a third support to help us 
in the relationship. In psychology, they call this creating a triangle. But we always try, when we have difficulty with another person, we always try to include a third element, so we have three points, to kind of provide stability to the relationship. Now, just follow me on this. Uh, this help, this third leg, can have many forms. One of them is friends. So, uh, so Jonathan and I, we aren't getting along very well these days. And, uh, and so what I'll do is I'll ask a friend to help support me so that Jonathan will be better behaved in this relationship. I involve a friend. And if I can get that friend to help maybe see my point of view and maybe see his point of view too, we hope that that friend will stabilize our relationship. Can you picture that? Just nod your head if that makes sense to you. So you're going to ask for help. Maybe even go for, we'll go for counseling, and the, the counselor will be that third leg. Now, it gets a little bit more tricky because we don't always just involve another person. What we can also do is involve rules. So I'll say, uh, Jonathan, we aren't getting along very well, so one of the new rules in our relationship is... Uh, um, if you have a problem with me, then what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to say it really kindly and point out your issues first before you point out my issues. That's our new rule. And what I hope is if we can work out enough rules, then we can have a stable relationship again. So the third leg of the relationship is rules. Did that get too complicated for you? If you're having a problem with your boss and your boss is criticizing you, what you might do is appeal to a rule that says, well, actually, I wasn't technically late because I was doing some work for the company. You involve a third thing, a rule, to help you have a better relationship with that person. Are you still following me? Yeah. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, alcohol. You can say, I'm not doing really well in this relationship. So what I need is just a little bit more courage. So I'm just going to drink a little bit or smoke a little something. And then what I hope that will do is help me better relate to this person because I'm feeling a little bit braver or more chill or whatever it's going to be. But I'm involving a third thing. One of the other things that we might do is uh, involve a distraction. So... Uh, the relationship isn't going very well, so what I need is I just need a break. And what I'm going to go do is I'm going to develop a hobby. And I'm just going to go do that so I don't have to focus so much on this relationship, alleviate some of the pressure. And so I'm just going to have this third thing in my life that I do that I hope if I do that, it'll reduce some of the strain in this relationship and make everything go better. What you and I are always doing in our relationships is involving a third element for support or help in some way. We do this all the time. In, uh, if you take Kingdom Life Ministry School, our Bible school, you're here we, that we talked about rescuers and persecutors and victims. And that's a, that's a triangle. In human relationships, we're always trying to involve a third thing to bring stability to the relationship. Uh, and a cat, you can click two buttons. There we go. So we have an issue, and then we have you and me. And then what we click one more time, it's really going to be fun. 
and there we go. So we have a two-legged stool. And click one more time. And so that third leg is some kind of form of support. Click one more time. Isn't this fun? And so to stabilize relationships, we seek external help, where we try to involve a friend, or we involve some rules, or we'll have a distraction to alleviate some of the stress. But this is what our life is always looking like, is we have tension with other people, and so we involve a third support to help us in that relationship. Now, when we... Uh, are you still tracking with me? Okay, are you still tracking? All right. So, uh, when we look in the Bible at the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they always had one big issue, their issue at the top, they always had one issue over all the other issues, was uh, land. They were always fighting over their land. They had this, God promised them the promised land, and God gave it to them, but then they sin against God, and then it, it's just it's always complicated. Uh, this is now thousands of years later, and what is Israel still fighting over? Their land. Nothing has changed for thousands and thousands of years. So, uh, they have, uh, they have, well, how do they respond to their issue of land? What they would do is they would seek support from other nations. So, the me would be Israel, the you would be their enemies. They're not getting along, and so they need support. And so what they do is they would go to places like Egypt and say, hey, Babylon or Syria, they're really giving me a hard time. Would you please come and support me so that I could defeat my enemy? Or they would depend upon their weapons. And they would say, we're going to build a really, really strong army. We're going to depend and rely on the strength of our horses and chariots and that we're going to be more ferocious than our enemy. That's what we're going to rely upon. And then if we can defeat our enemy, then we're going to get our land back. Or they would depend on compromise. They would say, hey, look, can we just have a bit of our land? We'll serve you, but if we can kind of negotiate, that's another form of having a third leg. Now, the problem is that none of these things, whether you're Israel or whether you're us, none of these supports that you and I try to put into our life, they never work. They just never work. When we look at, at Israel, Egypt never came to their help. They never had enough weapons. They never compromised enough. For you, if you have difficulties in your relationship, you'll never have a good enough friend. You'll never smoke enough weed. You'll never uh, uh, be clever enough and have, a, have the perfect kind of rules to make that relationship work. The supports that we look for in our life are never sufficient to give us the peace and joy that we're looking for in our relationships. And the reason is quite simply this, that the only third leg that ever works is God. Now, uh, I'm sorry to say, but I don't think you and I think much about that. If I have a problem with Debbie, it's either my fault or her fault. That's mostly what I'm thinking about. What did I do wrong? What did you do wrong? I never think, or seldom think, that the problem, that the reason why Debbie and I are ha is having a problem is because God 
isn't involved in completing the triangle between us. In the middle of tension, I'm thinking about what she's doing wrong or what I'm doing wrong. But the real problem is God isn't involved in the triangle of our relationship. So what we do is we go for counseling and we try to work on improving ourselves or we try to get the other person to behave better and have better communication techniques. And I am reaching a conclusion in my life that the reason why my life doesn't go well, your life doesn't go well, our nation doesn't go well, is not because we're not trying hard enough or we're not working hard on the other person improving, it's because God isn't in the middle of our relationships. I think that world peace is an illusion. It's never going to happen unless God rules the world. Your life will never go well unless God is in the middle of it. It doesn't matter how great you are, uh, how much you've worked on improving yourself, and how well you surround yourself with other people who are really nice also. Unless you have God as your primary support in your life, our life just doesn't go well. So, to lean on God, for God to be this support... We must trust that he's one key thing, I think, above all other things. And it's simply this, that he is just. That he's just. Uh, I don't, I need him to be loving and kind, but I mostly need to know that he's strong and powerful and trustworthy. And what that looks like is being just. Let's look at a passage. This is a psalm of praise. Let's look at a passage that talks about God being just. And this is a, this is a hard passage to, uh, to read. It says, At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both horses and chariots lie still. You just speak a word and the powers of this world die. Horses and chariots lie still. You just speak a word and your enemies are killed. It is you alone who are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? Now, we need God to be this kind of God. From heaven... You pronounce judgment in the land or uh, another, the same, it's the same word, the earth. So it can either refer to the land of Israel, the whole earth. The land feared and was quiet. So what does quiet mean? It means shalom. It means the land was at peace. How do you get peace? From heaven, you pronounce judgment. Uh, you're angry, and when we fear you, then there's peace. So who's told you that lately? Who's told you that the reason why there's not peace in your life is because you don't fear God and his wrath? Who told you that recently? That's your biggest problem in your life, is you're not nearly afraid of God and his wrath. You're not 
supported on that. And so as a result, you got to try keeping making yourself a better person or make other people better people. But the real problem is not that you're not good. You'll always be imperfect. They'll always be imperfect. The real issue is you don't fear the judgment of God. From heaven you pronounced judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. When you, God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted of the earth or of the land. Surely, now this is a really complicated verse. Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise. What do you think about that? Do you think right now Canada is worshiping God because he's full of wrath? Have you met anybody like that? You go out in the street, you say, you know what? God is full of wrath and anger and judgment. You should be praising him right now. What Canadian is going to agree with that? They're going to go, no, 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 you don't understand. I have the opposite problem. I don't praise God because I don't believe that he's loving. I don't believe that he's kind and merciful. In this verse, this is the opposite that what really brings praise to God is not that he's a kind teddy bear, it's that he's a wrathful, judging king over the whole earth. That's what will bring him praise. Why? Why would this bring God praise? Here's what I think it means. <clears throat> is that... i got to find, find this in my notes. The reason why his wrath brings him praise is because he is the only being that is capable of judging the world in justice. Now, I don't know about you, but I am super amused by the news south of our border. There is not a day that goes by that I don't hear another issue going on, and it usually has to do with their president, that uh, they're just, it's just complicated over there. And I don't know who got fired yesterday, but it was somebody else. And I mean, it's just, it's horrible. What's the biggest concern that they have of their president? He's not just. He's not fair. He just randomly fires one person and installs another person and seems to be hiding something else that we're not quite sure that's going on. And, and he's, it, just, it looks like, a, like one of those games where you, you're shuffling the shells. He's just not trustworthy is what the message is, is being communicated, right? And if you would have a, a king or a president or a prime minister that's trustworthy in his judgments, meaning he's impartial. If you're wrong, I'm going to say you're wrong. And if somebody else is wrong, then I'm going to point that out. And if they deserve to be punished, I'm going to punish them. And if you deserve to be protected, I'm going to protect you. I'm a just and fair king. And when you have somebody like that ruling, peace comes in the relationships. But if you can't lean on a God who's trustworthy in his judgments, then this relationship 
is always unstable because it's never perfect enough to bring peace. We need to be able to lean on the wrath of God to keep us safe from hurting one another. Are you following me on this? So, if in your life you don't believe or like to think about the wrath of God, you will never experience peace or joy. I can tell you, I, I mean, if I preach every week, I can tell you every week, God loves you just the way you are. You're unconditionally loved and accepted. You don't have to change anything. And he loves your, you know, your neighbor and your family and your work just as much. We're all super duper loved. <coughs> yeah. But he broke trust. I was abused by that person. This person owes me money and they don't pay me back. My boss takes advantage of me. Great, you love me? You love him? Show me the money. Like, fine, I'm happy to talk about love, but where's justice in this moment? How am I supposed to get along with my boss who keeps taking advantage of me? You can tell me for as long as you want that we're both loved. I want some justice in this moment. I need justice to lean against in this relationship. And if there's no justice, how can I get along with them? Is this making sense to you? Now, we have a society that hates the justice of God and does not believe that God is capable of ruling this world, much less our lives. And so because we don't have that third leg to lean on, we keep demanding more and more of ourselves to be better and nicer and kinder and not have any convictions about anything and to become more tolerant because we don't believe that God's going to be just when all is said and done. So, justice in the Bible does not mean that God will always defend me. It doesn't mean that. I mean, I want it to mean that. But sometimes it means that God punishes me. Because I'm not the weak in this moment, I'm the criminal. Uh, you're a congregation, a church congregation, all right? And I'm the pastor. Let's just pretend there's this huge divide between us. And, and you're the congregation, and I'm the pastor. You will not tolerate my leadership unless you trust that there is an almighty God who will protect and cover you and not be abused by leadership. And if you don't believe that it, Jesus is the head of the church, you'll never 
open your heart to leadership. It's just not going to happen. And I'm never going to trust you. This is not going to happen. I'm always going to defend myself against you and keep you at arm's length. But get this. I have the freedom, follow me on this. I have the freedom to be misunderstood by you and taken advantage of by you if I have the justice of God to lean on. You get to be kind and generous towards me, an imperfect leader, if you know that at the end of the day, God is just and I can lean on that. And if we don't have justice in the middle of our relationship, I will never be perfect enough and neither will you for us to walk in relationship together. Justice is super important. And the primary thing that justice allows us to experience is mercy-based relationships. Let me just look at uh, Hebrews 10.30. It says, uh, For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. Now, doesn't that sound great? I mean, I've read that verse so many times, and I said, God, I was so wrongly accused, and I trust you to, uh, you know, to, to repay me for all that they did. I always forget to read the last phrase. And again, the Lord will judge who? His people, us. When we look at the church, we go, yeah, that world is so bad. Would you bring your judgment down on that world? They're bad, bad people. God says, yeah, I'll begin with you guys. How does that sound? I'll judge you first. The Lord's going to judge his people first. Because you have more knowledge than they do, so you're more accountable. So I'll start with you. We need God to be a fair judge. Not always making us innocent, but always being righteous. I need him to do that in my life. And if I'm always right, he becomes suspect. No, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm the criminal. Sometimes I'm the victim. And I need to lean on him that he will be, that he will be a just judge or I won't be able to survive. But trusting in God allows us to do a very important thing, and that is to live in mercy. Now, follow me on this, okay? We're almost done. Just follow me on this. We've got the triangle. There's you and me and a just judge who is not afraid to bring wrath. Okay, that's the triangle. Now, if I know that he's going to take care of justice, what does it free me up to do? Be merciful. So I can get taken advantage of. I can be misunderstood. Uh, I, can, uh, I, can, I can give generously. I can be super kind. Uh, I can suffer for your benefit. I can be super merciful. You know why? Because I know at the end of the day, I have a, merciful, I have a just judge who will repay me and will ensure that righteousness is served at the end of the day. What if, listen to me now, what if the reason why you feel uncomfortable 
reaching out to other people and being inconvenienced and being misunderstood and, and uh, instead of you playing your video game or doing your hobby, that you'd go out and, and love somebody. Maybe the reason why you're stingy in mercy is not because you haven't received enough mercy, it's because you don't know how to lean on the justice of God. And that if you knew that God was fair and righteous, then you don't mind being taken advantage of. Because at the end of the day, he will always settle accounts, and he will always be fair and always be true. And he will punish who needs to be punished, and he will reward who needs to be rewarded. And so I can be taken advantage of and misunderstood. It's all good to me, because I'm not leaning on you being perfect. I'm leaning on the justice of God, and I know that he will be fair at the end of the day. Are you, is this making sense to you? If we don't have that third leg of support, we will never be able to practice mercy, even at personal cost. Let's look at those verses. Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry I don't have it up on the thing, but it says, You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You've heard that it was said, payback, revenge. Fair is fair. Well, Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Somebody slaps you, say you missed a spot. How could you do that? Okay. Um, I, have a, uh, I have a problem. And one of the problems is I hate... I, I hate being belittled. It's really, really hard on me. And it goes back. It's all very psychological. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in, in uh, it was grade eight or nine, I had, a, I had a, a kid who was older than me. We took the bus together. He was older than me, and all the way home and riding the bus, he would tap the back of my head with his pencil. I mean, I think about it now, and I'm, I have issues, right? I just, uh, they just come up again, and there's nothing I can do about it because he's bigger than me. I hate that. I'm a scrawny little kid, and he's strong and mean, and he taps me on the back of the head all the way home every day. And this says... Uh, when they tap you on the right side of your head, you should turn to them the left side also. You missed a spot right there. I wasn't tapped there yet. Could you just, yeah, just over a little. That's right. That's perfect. That's what this passage says that I should do. How on earth can I do that? Is that humanly possible? That's impossible to do. Unless I'm leaning on the righteous judgment of God that he will vindicate me at the end of the day. It's impossible to do that. But it doesn't stop there. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Do any of you here have any enemies? Any people that bug you? 
How are you going to figure out how to be merciful towards them? What's your plan of action? According to this passage, your plan of action is to figure out how to lean more on the righteous judgment of God. And if you trust him to be fair at the end of the day, you can love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. You're free. You're free. So, you can tell if you uh, are trusting in God's justice if you live a life of mercy toward others. That's how you can tell. That's the criteria. So, if you're driving your car or you're, uh, or you're in the bus and you're making judgments of the other drivers or the other passengers in the bus, they're ignorant. Man, I can't believe how loud they're listening to their music and I'm trying to listen to mine. That is so wrong. That person is so drunk. You should catch another bus, not be on mine. That person is so rude. Look at how they're looking at me. They're so lustful. Just judgments. That means the answer to that is to say, oh, I'm not extending mercy to them. That must mean that I don't believe in a righteous judge who will judge me and judge them fairly. This is what we conclude with. Where do we begin to work on this problem of ours, of relationships that aren't built on mercy and kindness and generosity, where we don't know how to lean on the righteous judgment of God and believe that he will judge me and judge my neighbor with equality? Where do we begin to work on what I would say to you is a core issue in our life? It begins with praise. In Revelation chapter 11, it says, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. Praise. The one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for rewarding your saints and for destroying those who destroy the earth. The way that we move toward a life of mercy and kindness is to praise God for his justice and wrath. And when you get in touch with the righteousness of God, the fear of the Lord will be in you to be holy and you will have the, the freedom to be kind and merciful to others. That's what the justice of God does. It puts the fear of the Lord in you and it allows you to extend mercy to others because we're leaning upon him and not upon each other. Everything changes when we praise him. Here's the bottom line. If worship team, you can come up. Here's the bottom line. Only as we praise God for his unbiased justice are we free to be merciful and righteous instead of vengeful and self-protected. If you are angry toward people, if you're demanding of other people and don't extend mercy, if you're kind of easy on yourself and go, hey, I've had a rough life. You don't know what I've been through in the past. You don't know my upbringing. I had a horrible upbringing. 
you got to go easy on me. We need to get in touch with the justice of God. And the way that we do that is by praising him. Could we please stand together? Father, I confess on behalf of my friends, we have not been merciful to others. We want to be, we want to be forgiven. We want to be loved and accepted. But we are very judgmental toward other people. We have a double standard. We want people to be easy on us while we're hard on them. And that's not right. But we do it all the time. Father, thank you for giving us a way out, for giving us a way to change, for giving us a way to be kind. And it's by leaning on your righteousness. So we agree with Psalm 76 that you silence the powers of men, their horses and chariots. You alone are to be feared. And we can't stand before you if you're angry. And from heaven, you pronounce judgment on the earth. And the land is to fear you. And when it does, there will be shalom. There will be peace. When you, God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted of the land, Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise. And we, your survivors of your wrath, are restrained because we have the fear of the Lord in us. So we praise you that you are not afraid to exercise your righteous judgment. We praise you for that. We don't look to presidents and prime ministers. We look to you to be our righteous judge. And it's you that we trust in at the end of the day to perform justice. And so we live in the fear of you and we worship you as a righteous king now.